0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! <laughs> Stupid! Corey Perry! Oh, you're
1: able to shake away from Salonian. Skips away to
2: All right, we're back with another episode of the Forever Mighty Podcast, and it's after a win—a rare, uh, a rare sight this year, boys. A win against the LA Kings. And Are you sure you're
1: pronouncing that right? A win. A, a, a win. Uh, how do you how do you spell that?
2: <laughs> this
1: is slightly, slightly shorter than a loss. Me.
2: <laughs> I mean, it hasn't happened too much this year, and. I think this would probably be the first time we had like a convincing win too, right? Uh, ducks outshoot them like forty-three to twenty-one. I think at the end of the, the end of the game here, only come out with a three-one victory, and one of those goals being an empty netter. But it, it's one of those games that, despite kind of the smaller scoreline, it didn't really feel like they were ever going to bottle it. Like it, they were in control for pretty much ninety percent of this game.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent was. It's a very nice change. Now I know what all the other teams feel like when they play. (laughs) So that's that's a fun one to watch. And I also, I felt bad for Peterson, but at the same time, I was like, "Ah, that's what
0: Gibby feels like, I guess, for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. It was fun for Gibby to watch that happen at the other end of the ice for once.
2: Yeah, that's what we're used to. To uh, John Gibson having to go up against this year. Um, You know, I I figured Quick would be in, in this game, but... I guess we're in a new era for LA Kings hockey where it's Cal Peterson's net pretty much. <laughs> it's not the Gibson quick uh, battle that we used to seeing.
1: Yeah. I think they've been trading back and forth a little bit on it. And um, why not? The, the ducks tend to have uh, quicks number the last
0: little while. So I assume they just, Hey, give it to the kid. Yeah. I mean, what do you have to lose? Like they're not, you know, I mean, if they beat, if they win a game, it's great, but they're not expecting to win games. So let the kid get a little bit of run and see how he does. It's not like the Ducks are a particularly threatening <laughs> opponent. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's uh, it's a battle of the basement teams. We we talked about this on the uh, the last podcast. How you know this rivalry is still still a nasty one, and we're gonna have five straight games of this later on in the season. So it's gonna be fun to watch, but it doesn't have the same. Level of skill that we're used to seeing from you know, a couple of years ago where you know, these teams were fighting for top of the Pacific Division, two of the best teams in the Western Conference, and now it's uh, <laughs> it's a shell, to say the least, of what it used to be. But, I mean, you look at the opening part of this game, Nick Delorier fights McDermott. Right off the the, the the puck drop. they were discussing it before the game even started. Uh, I think the broadcast showed a, a little clip of Deloria with McDermott from across the uh, the blue line, so it still does have that uh, that edginess to it that we're used to. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: I guess slightly. I guess that's like the most edginess I felt like throughout the game. And uh, to to quote uh, John Allers and uh, make Stephen happy here, he, uh, a little how do you do's. Uh, just before uh, puck drop, and then they actually go out and uh, drop it. And uh, that wasn't really a great fight necessarily. I mean, it kind of served its purpose, I guess. But uh, that was about the only real super intensity um, that I felt throughout the game. It was kind of weird that they put that DeLaurier had the most fights, fighting majors last year, and then this is literally his first fight
0: this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's too many guys, especially, you know, in the West, that he's going to be able to throw around with. Um, You know, I I think for me, you guys kind of said it, like it really did kind of feel like the zombie version of what the rivalry used to be, you know, you got a couple of good. Ships where you know teams look like they kind of knew how to play hockey. You got a fight at the drop. There were a couple of hits, nothing really exciting, too too much. Comtois blew somebody up in the, the third period, I think. But you know, I mean, it was it's really a shadow of the rivalry that you know so many of us loved for so long. Like I said it on Twitter the other day. Like there was a point where I would I I would rather watch a Ducks Kings hockey game than any other sporting event in the world. Like. It was just so much fun for me to watch those teams play at the height of their powers. And, you know, this is kind of natural uh, as far as life cycles of franchises and sports. But it is a little disappointing to just kind of see how much the air has come out of that that rivalry.
2: It's it's just you're missing that, I don't want to call it desperation, but that <clears throat> added you know, peace to the rivalry, those games meant something. Right, you know, it's a the couple stakes. Years there's no stakes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're missing that now. And it's, you know, the teams still hate each other. And as we mentioned before, there's still guys that are sticking around on both teams from when the rivalry was at its peak. But, yeah, you're you're missing those high stakes to the game where, you know, it's a four-point game in the race for the Pacific Division, whereas now – you know, these two teams are likely fighting for the bottom of the division and trying to trying to stay out of the, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom five in the league as a whole. So, yeah, you're missing that. But, you know, what? it, it still was it still did feel like a King Stux game as, as much as we're kind of ripping on the rivalry falling apart here. It did still have a bit of that to it.
1: Uh, I guess um, I guess I'll disagree a little bit <laughs> on that one it, it didn't have it I didn't see any I didn't see any big hits I didn't see any big sways in momentum and I guess you can attribute that to you know a them not really playing for much other than not trying to embarrass themselves and also maybe not the fans in the stands that usually whether it's mm-hmm. a an Anaheim game or a king's game those fans really kind of just, amplify that a little bit so i don't know if that kind of left the luster out but i I just couldn't remember any memorable hits that really kind of stuck with me where it's Mm -hmm. like i was i was just waiting for someone to just just run into somebody and then just start (laughs) that just starts it like that's all you need is just that little ignition and then you know everyone's starting to get into it and never really happened you thought maybe it happened when you know they kind of nodded and did their their fight to start the game but I don't know. For me, this one just uh, you know it was kind of everyone just play, spin around, get a shot. Let's let's play. You know, see who can score more goals, and that's all we're really here for at this point. So
2: the game felt like it was missing a bit of Josh Manson because every time Josh Manson comes up against the Kings, he always gets involved physically. Where you know we haven't seen him do that on a regular basis, but for some reason, when the Kings come to town or the Ducks travel to LA, he always seems to be in it. And, and mixing it up physically in those games. So, missing missing him a little bit where the Ducks are, are kind of missing those guys who are going to make those those big hits and those and those big plays and during, you know, a tough game like that.
0: Yeah, yeah I I think DB kind of said it in the chat just now that I think is uh, is pretty perfect, which is the Ducks played you know, there was a level of professionalism about they play the way they played. They went through the game, they did, you know, they did the things they had to do. Um, You know, we'll get into it more as we kind of get through the breakdown, but it really just was one of those things where like the Ducks showed up and the Kings kind of didn't, you know, I think part of that is that Kings roster was a little light, you know, they are missing a couple of defensemen and like, you know, both teams are pretty bad. So, you know, there's just, like we said, there's not a lot uh, on, on the line right now. You know, you could argue the fucking, the lottery is more competitive for the two teams than the season is at this point, so...
2: Yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll get into the breakdown here. You move into tonight's game, and you see a couple lineup changes from the previous game. Obviously, the, the big talking point of the Ducks' last game was Adam Henrique was a healthy scratch. He draws back into this game. But instead of playing at second-line center, where we've seen him for the majority of this year, he ends up playing top-line left wing with Ryan Getzlaff, which it's not a, unusual. We've seen him play there in the past. We saw him play there last year when he was struggling to get things going and in chemistry wise and consistency wise on that line. And so we see him draw up there with Getzlaff. Uh Max Jones gets scratched and uh, Isaac Lindstrom comes in and centers the third line with Maxim Comtois and Camtouin, Ricard Raquel. So a lot of lineup switches here and obviously Sam Steele then moves up with Danton Hein and, and Jakob Silverberg and they actually looked pretty good tonight. So really the only line that stayed the same was Backes, Delorier, and Rowney and Turns out that was probably the best
1: line dust that i <laughs> had
2: all night in terms of generating offense. And talking about a throwback here, David Backus looked excellent.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, from a production standpoint, that that kind of ended up working out for them, uh, getting that line together. But I, I liked I liked the way the game played with Henrique out there. I thought this was probably the most I've noticed him all season. Um, I thought he did really well. I thought Sam Steele did really well on the, you know, that new uh, makeshift line as well. So everything kind of worked good. But once again, grain of salt. And like uh, Steven said, we're playing the Kings and we're playing a depleted Mm -hmm. Kings defense. And there's there's an easy way to look really good or really in sync. Uh, but at least they were skating. They were making plays. They were trying mm-hmm. to get to the front of that. They were doing a lot of the little things. But I like the new lineup uh, that was there. I thought that looked pretty good. Even Troy, even Troy Terry looked good to me. So that's saying a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I think you're right. I think um, you know I think moving Henrique to the wing had a lot of benefits. I I think you know one of the things that stuck out to me is the lines all felt much more they felt much better constructed, you know, I think you kind of each line had that veteran that you can see kind of holding everybody up, maybe kind of driving play, making good passes or good choices here and there, you know, and you're looking at Silverberg and Getzey and Raquel and Henrique as kind of guys who can provide that, you know, that fourth line is the fourth line. We know what they're going to do. We know how it's going to go, but I think, you know, moving, uh, You know, Sam Steele between Heinen and Silverberg, I think that line played really well tonight. I think for me, that was the line that I was most impressed with Um, just because it felt balanced. It felt like they were attacking. They had, you know, they were putting their feet forward. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's one of those things. I think everybody looked a little bit better, but it's hard. You know, not to kind of undercut a lot of it just because of it. It was a bad roster that they were playing. You know, this is one of maybe two or three teams in the league that the Ducks can say they have a better roster than. You yeah. know. So. Yeah, I, I kind of agree
2: with that. That uh, Sam Steele line. I feel like when you look at how that's constructed, and you've got two of the best defensive forwards mm-hmm. on the team. You know, flanking Sam Steele down the middle, it gives Steele a bit more freedom offensively to get things done and be a bit more of a creative playmaker, which we we know he has. But you know, when you play him on the a third line with Troy Terry and Maxim Comtois, he doesn't necessarily have as much freedom to do what he wants offensively. And I think when you put him with those two guys in this game, you saw the benefits of that. I thought I thought Sam Steele looked excellent in this game. I thought it was one of his better games of the season. Doesn't really show up on the score sheet, but. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at going into Friday and Saturday's game against the Sharks that we see if, if any line is going to stick together, obviously outside of the fourth line, that Steele, Silverberg, and Heinen could be could be one that kind of continues to go on moving forward.
1: Yeah, that was a great setup by uh, Silverberg, too, to get get it to Heinen. And I was impressed with the way Heinen played as well. I thought, uh, you know, he. uh, the only person I would have said I didn't think had a good game originally was going to be Rowney, given the the early chances he had, where he either tripped over the blue line or just decided not to pass on a two-on-one. But then, you know, he ends up making an amazing play uh, later in uh, the the game. But also, he had a lot of good defensive plays. So he kind of did much better as the game moved along, but once again, all four lines I felt were rolling pretty well. Yeah, and we'll we'll get
2: into the breakdown here. We already talked about uh, DeLore and McDermott scrapping right off the face-off. Pretty decent fight. Um mm-hmm. I think McDermott had a bit of a reach advantage, which you could kind of see in that when he landed a couple hard ones. But I mean, Nick Deloria is never a guy who's gonna gonna back down from a fight.
1: It's you know, what? I was sorry. What are you saying? No, no, I was just saying the the one thing that was very unusual about that fight is I could hear all the stick taps on the bench. Like, you don't ever hear that, but I could hear them, like, yep. click, 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 clack, clack. And I was like, oh, man, they're really, like, really rooting them on. I'm like, oh, that's must that must be what they hear when they're fighting is just their own teammates going on. Now I get why they stand up and hit that. That was just a unique thing that I had never really heard, and I don't think I'd ever hear if it wasn't for uh, the unusual season that we have, but... Sorry take the <laughs> take the wins where we can,
2: right? <laughs> yeah. With uh with no fans. <laughs> you kinda yeah, take like, the benefits where you can get them. So uh but yeah, I mean, you know, I was gonna say I don't I don't wanna say it's nice to see DeLore get a fight, uh, you know, his first of the season. Uh, but it, it felt like it was kinda neat. I think well, who's the only guy fought up to this point? I know Getzlaff fought. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if we, we had
1: another. One technically game. kind of fought, but he didn't yeah, get a five yeah. minute major and then he got
0: injured and hasn't played since. So Yeah, the real only fight is uh Getze and Clifford.
2: Yeah. 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 I, I mean, you know, Nick Delores, if anybody's gonna fight in this team, it's it's gonna be him. And yeah. like you mentioned, Stephen, earlier, that you know, he had like, the most fights out of any player in the NHL last year. So, you know, you right? know it it's it's expected there's gonna be a few more <laughs> by the end of the season. But yeah. uh you know, moving on in, in the rest of the breakdown here, uh, a few chances early on. I think Rowney had two two on ones. He passed the first time and threw it behind. I think it was a trailing Nick Delore, And then on the second one, he decides to shoot it and shoots it right into Cal Peterson. Probably not the, the guys you want to have on a, a two on one, to be honest. And, uh, you know, both times around, probably made the opposite decision from what he should have. But the mm-hmm. Ducks obviously getting some offensive chances, and it leads to the goal that we mentioned earlier here where a great battle by Sam Steele to win the puck, and then Silverberg bats it out of the air, like, I think, three or four times to to get it loose <laughs> up to, to Danton Heinen, and then he ends up blasting it past Peterson to to make it one nothing. But, uh, man, that like we said already, that line looked great. Danton Heinen gets another one. It's his third goal in his last five games, and you know, he keeps on rolling, too. And is there any
1: more, like... <clears throat> like that is quintessential ducks at this point. Or it's like, oh you gotta you gotta you gotta fight. Uh you, you got Sam's still having to fight like the biggest dude on the other team just to get it over to Silverberg. who has to like bat it eight times and then it's gotta bounce to Heinen who just has to bounce it over the goalie and hey we got a we got a goal. I mean it was just like it's so much effort for such an ugly
0: looking goal. <laughs> that's
1: how it's, we gotta score him this year, right? I did. And that's 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 what we gotta do. <laughs>
0: It's it's interesting, you know. I think, uh, you know, there was a play later in the period uh, where Comtua just kind of kept the puck alive on his own, you know, kind of falling down, getting up, falling down, getting up, and he was just, you know, keeping it live and really, you know, doing a lot of that net front stuff that you want a guy like Comtua to do, right? You know, we've said it before. He's not necessarily going to be creating high-level chances for himself based on, you know, his skating or his puck handling. He's going to, you know get shots off when it hits a stick and he's going to drive to the net and try to get some of those greasy goals like that. You know, I think the thing that was really interesting for me tonight is I never felt like even when the ducks were playing well and they had those nice uh, extended runs of zone time, I don't, I don't think I ever felt like they were creating opportunities based on a high level of execution. It felt very much kind of efforty, like, they were just a little bit better. They tried a little bit harder. Uh, and, you know, it did make me a little nervous, to be honest. This was kind of really the first time where I started to wonder about Dallas Akins Because if there was ever a night, you know, that you could kind of see some form of a system, it would be against uh, a team like the Kings. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really feel like there was much of that. It, it it was definitely the first time I was really a little nervous about Akins as far as... Uh, <laughs> His system not just being effort.
1: Um, yeah. And, and I'd agree with you. Cause I felt like that was kind of Carlisle's thing too, a little bit, you know, not to harp way, way back, but his whole thing was just like, Oh, well our, our big players need to play bigger and they, you know, we need to be more responsible or we got to, you know, you know, outwork the other team. That's always the our, And that was also kind of Boudreaux's thing as well. We just got to outwork the opponent, just outwork it. It's like, all right, well, show me what you got, you know, make, make them be in positions where they can capitalize on it. And uh, I, I, yeah, I didn't really notice that at first, but now that you bring it up, I would absolutely agree. It was just like, it was all right, we got it. We're holding it. What is this team going to give us that we can maybe try and pick, pick apart versus let's, let's put our game and then make them make mistakes. It was more like what mistake are they going to make that we can
0: maybe jump on?
1: And yeah, I don't,
0: Yeah, that's
1: been their identity for a little while, and I don't like it.
0: (laughs) No, I think that's I think that's exactly right. You know, I think um, you know you you could say that that kind of effort, maybe focusing a little bit more on defense than offense, is kind of that uh, Gerard Gallant style, right? Where the system is really just about people knowing where they're supposed to be roughly, Um, everybody understanding that defense is a team effort, nobody really making any egregious mistakes, and then. Uh, generating offense just based on a, an overwhelming skill advantage. And the Ducks don't have that. So, if the scheme or the system that they're running isn't generating that offense for them, I don't know that there's enough talent on the ice for them to make up for it and generate their own offense. Um, and I think, you know, what you see is the lack of elite offensive talent or even just, you know, high end playmaking that maybe makes a system like that a little bit more feasible. So, you know, given the roster now, like I said, I'm a little nervous as far as Akins is concerned. You know, maybe if there was a bit more talent on the roster, maybe it looks a little different in the offensive end. But it was definitely something I noticed in this game. Yeah, I think when you look at the fact
2: that throughout the entire first period here, the Ducks really had their foot on the gas. And I think, you know, after the goal, Raquel, the Raquel line had about 90 seconds of uh, sustained zone time near the end of the period The, the Ducks hemmed the Kings in For really the final minute Of the first period But in all that zone time And in, in, in all that pressure There really wasn't a threat to score There wasn't right. any really dangerous High quality scoring chances You know, it, It's just the Kings being inept And, and, and not having you know, an ability to get the puck out of their own zone. And that's been a problem with the Kings all year. The broadcast mentioned, it, and you you look at the, you know, the way the Kings have played this year, they don't really have any problems scoring goals. I think they're top half of the league. In goals four, the problem with them is defensively, their structure in front of their net minders is not good. And they can't keep the puck out of the back of the net. Like if this is a different team tonight, the way the Kings played, if this is a, a you know, a more dangerous offensive team, the Kings are getting absolutely obliterated in this game, the way they played. But Anaheim doesn't have you know, the offensive weapons to really make them pay and create the opportunities. Like, like Jay said, they're almost waiting for the Kings to make a mistake and capitalize on that mistake or, or work out in, in the system that they're playing. And it's something, I mean, we're used to seeing so far from the Ducks this year is, is really a lack of a, an offensive weapon. And, and that showed, I mean, it was a dominant first period, you know, they outshot them 13 to four, but it didn't look like they really threatened them beyond the one goal that they got. Uh,
1: leave, leave it to us to uh, f- have a ducks yeah. win a good first period. And we're just sitting here going, God, they suck. I saw you they could you be so much better <laughs> the it's entire like, time I was talking. They, they did well, but yeah, no, it's old habits, old habits die hard. We'll get through this. If they could just string a couple more together. <laughs>
0: but, you know, I think it's interesting too, though. The other thing that I think, you know, is you look at it, they didn't really penetrate into the center of the ice very much, as much as they held the puck. The Kings did, for the majority of the time, kind of keep them to the outside. So even as as bad as the Kings looked in their own end, as far as not being able to slow the game down, control the puck, and get it out and give themselves a breather, they weren't really giving up a lot of prime real estate, other than a couple of examples, you know, like uh, the, uh, the backest goal. <laughs> or, yeah. Or, right, but literally, a guy falls, and that's how the Ducks get a two-on-one. Like, a dude yeah. literally had to fall yeah. for the Ducks to generate an odd man right. Sniper. Ride. Sniper in the building. You know, so I just, there, it, it, you know, I think Ducks fans should obviously be happy that we beat the Kings. That always feels yeah. good. Yeah. But there's, there's some things about this game that I don't know are as positive as maybe people feel like they are. But, yeah. again... Yeah. I don't know, that's just me being a jerk. It, yeah, it well, I mean, out. you muster yeah.
1: over 40 shots and you only get two goals out of the whole thing, you know, that aren't empty netters. You know, that that also kind of just like, damn, all right, we, we still really can't finish, but if we just really beat a bad team, we can do it by at least one goal. <laughs> this is the perfect win for Bob Murray and
2: Dallas Akins if they want to just brush over the issues the Ducks have mm-hmm. because they can look at this and say, oh, we generated 43 shots on goal, we scored three. You know, we looked good we looked dominant if you look at you even go into the analytics and look at the puck possession stats the ducks dominated in shot attempts over right. all three periods um but it was against the kings the kings didn't play well and the ducks still didn't generate a ton of offense despite putting 43 shots on net. it was like you know dallas akins told them and it was you know cliche again but put pucks on net tonight you know th- throw everything you can on net and i, I remember looking up i think halfway through the second period shots were 30 to 13 i'm like how is that possible it does not look like the ducks have generated 30 shots on
0: goal but they have 100 never felt like that yeah you know i i I think you kind of said it i think uh i think this game in a lot of ways is a bit of a rorschach test you know i think you can look at this game and take out of it what you want you know if like you said you're akins and you're murray and maybe you know you feel a little bit of heat on the back of your neck you can look at it go look Tonight we saw what we're (laughs) capable of, and now we can maybe do that more going forward now that we got a little bit of momentum and all that crap. You know, if if you're us, you can look at it and go, ooh, was that really as good as maybe it felt? You know, so I definitely think It's like
1: like ownership is one parent, and the fans are another (laughs) one. And they're like, I just drew a picture, and, you know, they're trying to show it to ownership. (laughs) Look, it's all the pretty colors. And then, like, the fans are over here going, like, dude, you're totally outside the lines i mean you got it but (laughs) did you really
2: It it speaks to how cynical we are as Ducks fans now that like you like said, Jay, we're coming off a a win and an impressive win in in all things considered based on how the Ducks have played this year, and uh, we're talking about how if this was any other team than than LA, it would have been a, been a different story. But uh, well, we gotta we gotta push through the breakdown here because the second period was probably the most action-packed period we had all game, uh, as we already mentioned. David Backus. Uh, got on the board early, 17 seconds into the second period. He he looked pretty good this game. I was actually impressed with the with the way he played and the way he came uh, came out and competed tonight. Uh, the fourth line in general was really good. And, and Carter Rowney ends up uh, throwing a nice back end pass out to to Backus to make it uh, two nothing at that point. Uh, and then Maxim Comtois almost pulls off the Michigan. I missed this. I didn't oh, see this play in oh, game. Dude. And I saw the highlight after. I think Felix Sicard ended up winning so it close. out So he got close. Like, I didn't see the close-up on this, but it looks like he got the angle right and everything. I'm not sure if he jammed it off the crossbar or if it hit, uh, if it ends up hitting Peterson in the arm or whatnot. But, yeah, that was the closest I've seen.
1: Yeah. Now, and I, I applaud that effort. I mean, just the, the – you don't see the Ducks do that, and especially if, you know – you only the Ducks for a while, it's, you know, hey, you kind of do things by the books, X passes to X, Y shoots, and we get a goal, and that's how it kind of works out. No one does any of these extra little things where everyone, you know, does a lacrosse or someone does, a you know, a spin around my backhand. I mean, it just doesn't happen too often for the Ducks. To see, especially a young player, willing to do it on this team was good. And then I got to I gotta kind of throw Brian Hayward under the bus a little bit because he's like, oh, he kind of got ran for it. I tell you, if it was me, i'd be a little upset too and i'm just like i'm like shut up this is this is the new nhl this is gonna happen it's all goal scoring and yeah you know make him pay a price if you want to but don't don't lament the kid for for trying to do something that's a little exciting and from behind the net where he's got no outlet nothing else going on at least he created a chance and some excitement for once heaven forbid (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, I, you know, my notes just say Comchua, Michigan with like four exclamation points. Like I could not believe that he went for it, you know, and it's funny, too, because like I, I was happy about it. It was fun to see. But like the entire time that this Michigan goal thing is kind of, you know, recently turned into, you know, almost an NHL meme as far as on ice play. I I have just been kind of waiting for someone to get slammed when they try it because it's so disrespectful and I love it. It's like a crossover. Like when it hits, it looks awesome. And I'm all for guys embarrassing them. uh, other guys on the ice, it's great. (laughs) Don't don't do it to a guys. One of these guys is going to catch a stick in the teeth, man. Like, and you know, it's going to be really hard to not be like, well, you know, you were kind of hot dog and it's showing off. And that's the part of me that, you know, is like secretly a 75 year old man or whatever, but like, it's fun. And so, you know, it was great to see, I think it shows a little bit of uh confidence and stuff like that. You know, the buddy Mike Fakuda on Twitter made the joke, you know, the ducks score two goals and now all of a sudden, you know, they think it's a, an all-star <laughs> game. <laughs> so, but, uh, AHL all-star game yeah <laughs> but you know it was it. that's the kind of thing i think for for fans this year that is really enjoyable and I, you know i think we can get into this later but this is kind of highlights one of the things that maybe bringing up a player like zekris gives you it's just those flashes of creativity those flashes of inspiration and fun that make watching the other 58 minutes of the game worth it
2: it's crazy how uh common this move has become it feels like almost every night this season we've seen somebody try it like i think it was literally last night Sidney crosby won up everybody head. and tried
1: on his backhand <laughs> he should have uh, had that one too he had it he just didn't, yeah. didn't quite reach it
2: well now it's it's kind of filtered into you now obviously Crosby's one of the, the most skilled players in the league but he's not a guy i think you would say oh crosby's gonna try that right like it felt like it was almost reserved for the young upcoming kids in the league that were trying it. And obviously it started with Svechnikov when he nailed it twice last year, but now Sid's getting in on the action and and switching it up with the back end. And yeah, it it has become almost a meme of sorts in the NHL where it just tried so often now, like for so many years, if it happened once every three years and and a guy (laughs) missed, you'd be like, wow, I can't believe he tried that. And now, Thank you
1: know,
2: it, for it, trying it. It happens so often now. You're like, oh, yeah, another guy attempted it. It would have been great if Kompfow scored it because uh, despite how many people have tried it this year, nobody's nailed it yet. So it would have been nice if, if Kompfow was the first one and got you the ducks, ducks on the Hey, you we have a
0: highlight.
2: One uh, positive. I mean, that, that Zegers shootout goal from the other night, that blew up weirdly. It was a great shootout goal but I think it blew up specifically because it was Zgris <laughs> mm-hmm. and the way he celebrated after two or, or lack of celebration.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Is like, the air is like, of, of confidence there.
1: Okay. Can we go home now? I'm done. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I he finished. really just Where cashed a Let's check, go.
0: man. That was so funny. <laughs> uh,
2: we, if we're talking about Zgris, we have to talk about, uh, the, the kid who made his debut for the LA Kings tonight. Uh, World Junior Championship teammate of Trevor Ziegler's Arthur Kaliev. I don't know if we Side joked way. about this on the podcast or if we were joking about we this. We did. And, no, we
1: did it on the podcast.
2: Was it on the podcast? Okay, okay we oh said yeah. Because yeah. once
1: it happened, I'm like, oh my God, the profits.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's so common now that uh, if somebody's making their debut against the Ducks, he's probably going to score. Um, and, of course, we joked about that in the last show and said, yeah, Arthur Kaliev, if he m- makes his debut because he'd been Thanks. called up to the taxi squad at that point, he was going to score. And, of course, he gets his, his first NHL goal. Uh, the only goal for the Kings tonight. But you know what? It, it, it's it's not surprising at this point. And then Trevor Zegas congratulated him on Twitter, which stirred up some weird rumors that he's frustrated. <laughs> it's a call for help. <laughs> he's congratulating a... Uh, Hey, good job, well, buddy. One of its buddies, but, see, uh, you,
1: see you soon. I mean, you you're not allowed know. to be
2: happy for your friends. That's a rule. Ew. Ew. It, it does make you wish uh, Trevor Ziegris comes out. Because you know what Arthur Kaliev, the first thing Ducks fans tweeted out after he scored wasn't like, oh, Arthur Kaliev scored. It was, oh, look, see, Arthur Kaliev can score. Why isn't Trevor Zegers
1: yeah. on
2: the roster? So you knew that was coming. And I was part of that as, as well. But I, I think oh. I stirred things up before the game where I said, well, Carth Azar Kaliev's going to make his debut, and Trevor Zegers is still uh, withering away. Yeah. Withering away.
0: Yeah. God, it's ridiculous. i having so much fun. It's so ridiculous. This whole it's, conversation. It's so wild to me how, just how, I don't know if it's divisive or controversial or whatever it is, but just simply Zegris's existence within <laughs> the organization and whether he is or isn't playing in the NHL has just become such a big deal. You know, I mean, at this point, it feels like, from a fan perspective, the two big storylines for the Ducks is, wow, John Gibson's really good, and he's probably going to kill a teammate by the end of the season, and <laughs> where is Zegres? Like, those are the two storylines at this point as far as what the Ducks are concerned.
1: Yeah, and how do we get rid of Bob Murray? Probably those those yeah. three things. That's not unfair. <laughs> the, yeah, Trevor's interesting has
2: branched out beyond uh, just the Ducks fan base now, but pretty much because of that shootout goal, it, it went semi-viral. Um, I think Spittin Checklets quote tweeted it. Uh, Bar down, PSN. Solani,
1: Solani, yeah,
2: Solani. We we got some Solani stuff to get into after the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love uh, I love how he handled that situation and passively liking certain tweets that were targeting management and coaching staff, which was great. But yeah, Solani even wants uh, Trevor Zegers up at this point. I mean, we might as well just. Quickly wrap up the rest of the, the game here and get into that because not too much happened uh, in the third period. A couple good chances for the Ducks throughout. Henrik run one off the post. Would have been nice to see him get uh, you know back in the in the on the score oh, sheet goal. after getting uh, scratched the other game. But ultimately, it's Nick Deloria who ices the game with an empty net goal, seals the Gordie Howe hat trick, which uh, is another, Slam. I guess, icing on the cake moment for this season. Yeah. Is. Uh, you know, it's the only boy. hat trick
0: we're getting, guys. Enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Until Trevor Zegas gets up, right? Right, yeah. And yeah. it'll horrible. be less cool when he does it 10 games in a row.
1: Yeah.
2: So, it's it's such cool. a weird situation. Like, imagine a team in any game being up by one, pulling the goalie, and the guy you have on the ice for that situation is Nick Moria. <laughs> right, your fourth liner. And it's Drew Downey
1: who blows a tire right, right in front of him.
2: What <laughs> other team is doing that right now? Where your fourth no, line is don't... your go-to shut down? Maybe we'll score a goal empty netter uh, situation. <laughs> like I don't. Yeah, the fourth it.
1: line's our top line, man.
0: <laughs> I, you know I, that shot though, to me, was so funny because not only was it from a decent distance, like I thought he was going to skate it a little bit more, yeah. but then he also put yeah, it, it high, top shelf. and I was like, I was like, dude, <laughs> if you would have barred out yeah. on that yeah. shot right there, dude. You would not hear the end of it because it's yeah. like that's because you just... know what would
1: happen. It would hit that, go the other way. They'd come back. They'd <laughs> score. We'd lose in overtime or something like that. Just something stupid. I yeah, guess. it would
0: just ping around the ice. Go <laughs>
1: <bing>, <laughs> right there.
0: Incredible.
2: Yeah, but to be fair to Nick delore he's actually—I mean—he was one of the better players in this game and. This season, he now has three goals, which ties him for the Ducks lead with Danton Heinen and Maxim Comtois. So. He's got to stop fighting. Mac.
1: He's, he's got to stop fighting. Protect those hands. <laughs> yeah, oh, really.
2: I mean, we're we're chirping him a little bit here, yeah. saying why would you have him out here in that situation? But when he's co-leading the Ducks but, in scoring yeah, right. right now, I mean, who else, you, who else are you comfortable putting out there? And the fourth line's good. David Back has got on the score sheet. Carter Rowdy probably could have had a couple, and he ends up picking up an assist. Uh, Deloria had, I think, two points in this game because he picked up uh, an assist on on the goal. So, I mean, you know, I'm I walking back my words here a little bit, but no, he did but have think, an impressive game.
0: I think both of those things can be true, right? Like, you can definitely look at it and be like, yeah, he played well, and he certainly deserved... Uh, based on the season and the game, like the opportunity to be out there at the end of the game defending a lead, but the idea that that simultaneously doesn't speak particularly well yeah, for bad. the state of the organization, like that's a whole other thing. It yeah. is also true. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll get out there. We need you after that. Never mind, Delorean. <laughs> yeah. Get out there, kid. He's gonna have the C by the end of the season.
2: <laughs> it's just one of those situations again where where the. The way Anaheim plays and the and the way Dallas Aikens kind of rewards players, like if you're a Derek Grant or a Carter Rowney or a Nick DeLore in the league right now, there is no better place to be than within <laughs> Anaheim. Like you're getting a shot. You're playing minutes and you are you might get dumpsters? on the power play.
0: <laughs> Do you want to yeah, live cor- in Southern California? Come to Anaheim. <laughs> Corvinian is Holzer is pissed right now. He thinks he, he would be a 25-minute-a-night guy. Well, look at the guys who got promoted.
2: Uh, Vinny Lataree played on the power play in the one game he played, and Andrew Agazino came up, and I think he got some power play time because sl- and he slotted right into Adam Henrique's spot on the second line center role. Uh, I mean, he he did okay that game. I think he won like ten face offs, had six block shots. <laughs> like he was actually not bad in that game. But yeah, the Ducks are literally rewarding anybody at this point with power play time and and extra minutes if you can, you know, go out there and, and actually show some effort.
0: You know what, though? Or produce.
2: I think,
0: yeah, but I think that's good, right? Like, you know, if you're going to be honest about this team, which we have tried to be, then that's the stuff you want, right? You want to set that kind of precedent and that tone as far as having your coach reward. um, You know, the guys who are playing well, you don't want to feel like somebody's cap hit or, you know, their resume from the year before is dictating, you know, the ice time that they're getting. Like, I understand that that is to an extent an inevitability because, you know, those are kind of, you know, used to kind of get an idea of who these guys are. But, like, you know, if if they're not playing well, they should not be on the ice, you know. And so I think having Aikens be able to do that and reward those guys is good. And I think, you know, it's it's a positive thing going forward if the team can continue to grow. Um, I will say I thought Bacchus— looked really good tonight and he really raises the floor on that fourth line. I, I have a hard time thinking unless it's coming in as a winger uh, that Derek Grant <laughs> needs to be in the, in the lineup most nights. It's really hard for me to think, you know, I think Backus looked really good tonight and he really kind of brings the bottom on that lineup.
2: We, we might see that uh, decision come a little bit sooner than we thought. Cause, uh, I think Eric Stevens on the real time, uh, section of the athletic app mentioned that uh, Dallas Aiken said that Derek Grant should be back for Friday, if not Friday, then Saturday. So wow. we'll, we'll, we'll find Wasn't out it then six how weeks, that like
0: three days ago.
2: Yeah. I don't even, I don't remember them ever putting out a time, but yeah, I didn't think it was going to be this quickly. Like I didn't think it was like, six weeks.
1: Yeah. Manson was six weeks. There it is. Yeah, but I think uh, Lundstrom probably is the odd man out, maybe, even though I didn't think he had a bad game this game either. But oh, you look good. Yeah, you look good. Like I said, center, ever, ever looked good. I can't really think about a bad one. But, yeah, I mean, you can plug in Derek Grant in many different Roles so, or you can kind of move things around. And I would think, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit hard to try to take Backus out after the game he just had and how that fourth line looked. But he could easily plug Derek Grant into a third line role and have Lundstrom, you know, go back to the AHL and or taxi squad and hold him around or whatever you want to do with him. But
2: yeah, it, the one thing I could see too is because I know David Backus is not going to play every game this year, and I doubt mm-hmm. he's coming in to play back-to-backs so if the ducks wanted to hold off and play Derek Grant on Saturday Saturday instead of Friday if he wasn't ready to go it could be David Backus plays on the fourth line on Friday and Derek Grant slots right in on the fourth line for David Backus on Saturday yeah. I can't imagine no matter how well I mean Backus could go in and score two goals on on Friday and I still don't think he would necessarily be a shoe in to be in, in there on Saturday just You know, the position he is right now. I don't think the Ducks. Uh, If
1: he's scoring two goals, if anyone's scoring two goals in a game (laughs) on the Ducks, they will be in the very next game. I don't care how tired they might be (laughs) at that point.
2: The, uh, all right, we got we to gotta get to this stuff because we already mentioned it. So Teemu Solani, um, after Zegers scored the shootout goal, the shootout winner for San Diego, a lot of people were, were saying, okay, why is this guy not up in the NHL right now? And, and Timu is subscribed to that theory as well. On his Instagram, he quote tweeted or quoted the goals uh, video of, of Trevor Zegers' goal and said, why this guy is not with the Ducks right now? Question mark. He is ready. <laughs> And uh, Felix Sicard tweeted this out, I think, the night of, or yesterday night or a couple nights ago, and uh, tagged Timo in it. And some of the comments that came with this tweet were direct shots at Dallas Aikens and and Bob Murray uh, and a few others. And Timo took to Twitter and (laughs) and liked liked a fair amount of these tweets. Uh, that we'll get to in a bit, because i got to pick them out here. But where, where do you guys stand at this point? I, I mean, Trevor Zegers, I think, through four games in preseason, he has six assists. He's looked pretty good in all of them. In some of them, he's looked like the goal's best forward. Uh, you know, a shootout winner is a shootout winner. It doesn't really do much for me in terms of saying if this guy's ready for the NHL or not. I mean, it was a great right. goal, and it was a, a nice move. But you know, we've talked about this pretty much, I think, every show. Where do you, Where do you guys stand at this point? Do you think... The Ducks have to bring him up. Do you think he's earned that call up? Do you think they should wait?
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about on the last one um, that they can – there's different viewpoints I would have on that same thing. Uh, would I, as a fan and a lover of creativity, <laughs> want Zegras on the Anaheim Ducks' plane right now? Absolutely. Couldn't wait more. I just like the more I can get him on an NHL team, the better. The part of me that maybe has a little bit more reserve is just that him coming into this situation may not be the best just this season i mean we got a lot of change that's going to kind of happen more likely with the gm possibly the coach an expansion draft why not start that first season with a fresh slate where there's maybe a little bit more excitement of what's going on versus coming into this situation where everyone minus this game look at the two games before this, that was just horrific hockey. And why would you try and bring that kid in there? And then either say, listen, we need creativity. Let's bring this guy in and hopefully it works out. I think it's far more likely he goes in and then all of the old Oilers, just, you bring in another great talent and it's just saps the energy out of it. And then that person doesn't necessarily get a chance to flourish. Um, and it also burns off a year. If he plays enough, it burns off a year of, of his uh ELC and why would you do that this year when you don't really have that much of an opportunity to make a big impact i would say let him get those games get all those great goals maybe give him a shot here and there let him play in and out but i just would not let him play enough that he's going to burn that first year just 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 hang on everyone he'll be here it's not like he's never going to be here just give it a second as much as you want him in
0: where are you at ed before i go
1: at this point, in. yeah,
2: I, I I think it's no secret that I, I want him in. I don't think it's, you know, throw him to the fire if he plays bad, keep him up and, and play him no matter what. Um, but I think at, at this point, like any any argument saying, oh, if you throw him into this situation right now, it's going to ruin him. I don't think one game is going to ruin anybody. I think if you, you know, just give him the shot, I think he's earned it. I, I think he's clearly been the best player in San Diego. And obviously the Ducks are calling up guys and willing to plug and play, you know, Vinny Letary and Andrew Agazino into the lineup. and Isaac Lundersham has come up a couple of times now. And Troy Terry has been in and out of the lineup. Like they're, they're making roster moves. I, I don't see at this point why you can't hand Trevor Zegres at least his, his, his NHL debut and see how he does. And maybe it is, you know, on a back-to-back, and and maybe it's Saturday against the Sharks, and you say it's a little bit easier, an easier of a game. You know, there you're going into the second game, and it's tired legs, and Zigris is fresh, and and maybe that's the best situation to put him in. Uh, but no matter what situation right now, I think at least handing him a debut is not going to hurt him. And you know, if he does bad, so be it. Send him back down, let him play in San Diego for a bit when the season starts on in, in a couple days here and then reassess how well he's doing down there and, and make another decision later down the line if you want to call him up. But you know, I think you're running out of some time here where you, know, you had some freedom with the, the preseason games to at least give him a shot and hand him that debut before the AHL season starts now with it starting and the schedule kind of conflicting. It's going to be a little bit harder to call him up without him missing some games down there. So if they don't do it soon, I don't know how long we're going to have to wait for it. Listen to Marketplace wherever
0: you get your podcast Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think I'm kind of torn on it, to be honest, for a bunch of different reasons. You know, I do think there is something to be said for you don't necessarily want to throw a kid into a situation that's just kind of a dumpster fire. If for no other reason than just, you know, I don't want to say it's going to like ruin the kid's career or whatever, but like. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be, what, 19 or 20 years old, excited to, you know, finally make the league. And all of a sudden you walk into a room and it's a bunch of dudes who are like 27 (laughs) and they're just depressed because they haven't won in three weeks. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's something to that. On the other hand, you know, I I do think almost that they're not really being stakes on a nightly basis is almost as good a reason to play him as to not because he can just go out and learn. And he's not going to be the reason that even if the Ducks lose a game, that they're not in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like, this team isn't going anywhere. Uh, so if you bring him up and, you know, you let him see kind of stretch his wings and see what he can do, I think that's got some merit. You know, I think at this point he's at least earned, like you said, Eddie, I think he's earned a debut. You know, I, I think this weekend would be a good shot. You know, Saturday actually is a great idea to me. You know, you give him a little bit of, uh, uh what do you call it? You give him, you know, you give him a little bit of, um, oh, my God, my brain just completely shut off. Uh, like a little bit of uh, a... little bit of a stage, you know what I mean? It gets, it gets a little exciting, right? You know, he comes in on a back-to-back, and, you know, it's it's a Saturday and it's a weekend. You know, he you you might have a little bit more eyes on it, things like that. So, you know, I I, I do worry about some of the 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 more traditional culture and uh, emotional toll kind of stuff. But I also do think that, you know, it's really hard to watch him play, and not think that he's earned an opportunity to try to make a difference. You know, as much as we said we don't want to use the shootout as justification to hand him a Hart trophy. Uh, I do think you can look at his body language and just see how supremely confident he is in that moment and take that as a positive, right? You know, I don't think whether yeah. he made or missed it is one thing, but I just think the way that he approached the situation to me is real positive. Yeah. So.
2: The one thing I don't buy into that necessarily with the losing thing and bringing him into an environment where everybody's depressed and everybody and i don't want to say you know other teams are doing it right because maybe they're not but you look at the rangers are bottom of their division they've played a near nine games this year
0: and as we all goal. know that's going very well for them there is mm-hmm. no problem in that locker room <laughs> right i yeah. should have made that uh, new york new jersey bet with you this year yeah, no, thanks. everything is going great for the Rangers right now, as we yeah. all know. Right.
2: But I I mean, you know, do you think it's ruining Lafreniere's career that he's got one goal in nine games in a losing environment? Do you think for the Senators right now that they're the worst team in the NHL? They're 1-8-1 after getting blown out by the Oilers again tonight, that Tim Stutzel, you know, having three goals in seven games and, and playing the majority of those games in a, a very, very bad team is is hurting his development. <laughs> I I don't – I think for one game – that that doesn't apply. I think you know you can make okay. that argument maybe for Tim Stutzel and Ale- and Alexis Lafreniere because they've played, you know, the majority of their team's games this year, and how much is that hurting their development being around that atmosphere, especially with the Rangers. Uh, but for Zegers, I think you could you bring him into one game on a back to back. I don't think the locker room is that toxic that the kid's gonna go back down to San Diego and just be like, man, that was brutal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess my my biggest my biggest fear is not necessarily that one game or that two game or even three or four games. It's that if he plays well enough that they keep him on this team and he burns that first year of the contract. Why burn that contract with this year that's not going to amount to much? Even if yep. it's like wow, it's exciting, it's great. We got something to be happy about. If you can do that through three or four games and then put him in the AHL, say listen we love everything you're doing. This isn't that we don't think you can compete. We just know what we have in you. And we want to see that for at least this next three years coming up. We gave you, you know, there's a little bit of a taste. So I don't know if that's maybe my, my fear on it is just that, you know, Hey, once we put him in there, can you turn that switch off? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, would it be really bad to go like, listen, you're doing everything right, but we just got to put you down there. And then he's got to go like, oh, okay, this team sucks so bad. I can't actually get my career started yet. And so I guess that would be my my biggest fear uh, on that. And
2: unless he comes out of the gate flying, I think no matter what I would I think I would agree with you there that you, there's no point in burning you know the first year of his entry level contract if he's you know got three points in six games. and he's looked good, but he's not looked, you know just like he's one hundred percent ready yet. I think at that point you could be like, okay, you're going to go back down to San Diego. you're going to finish the year there. And, you know, we'll, we'll bring you up next year and, and you should be ready then. But if he comes out and produces like a point per game over a seven, six or seven game trial, yeah. and there's no there's no reason to send him down at that point. Right? You know, yes, you burn the year off his entry level, but he's proven to you that he's ready at that point. And again, this is all hypothetical, but, you know, so what, you're burning a year off his entry level contract. This guy is ready for the NHL. And, you know, you can, the, the, the Ducks aren't going to have be hampered by the cap in two years that they're going to be in a Vancouver Canucks situation where they're worrying about signing Elias Pettersson because they've made a bunch of bad deals and a bunch of signed a, you know some very bad contracts. Like the Ducks, two years from now, if they have to sign Trevor Zegras to an entry level contract and he's had just an exceptional first you know two or three years to it to his rookie career, then you know they'll take that as a win because they brought mm-hmm. him in at the right time and he dominated and they didn't have to look back. So. I think at this point, like at least the five or six games to give him a trial, see what he can do and make your decision off that. And and if he forces your hand, then it's still a win for the Ducks because the only way he's forcing your hand there is if he's coming right into the lineup and making a a big impact right off the bat.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely an opportunity cost uh, as far as burning the year, not burning the year, having him up, having him down. Um, You know, like you guys both said, he could force your hand and play great. But look, if the truth of it is, is if in two years we're signing him to a $7 million contract a year, like, then everything went right. You know what I mean? And that's, you, you'd you rather just have him in that contract than not. You know what, I, I don't know if that makes sense. But, like, I, I do think there is something to giving him the rest of this year if he proves that he is capable, right? If he's actually ready to stick around. Yeah, dude, just take the year, make as many mistakes as you can, learn as much as you can now. Because this time next year, like we're maybe going to hope that these games are a little bit more important and the stakes are a little bit higher. We think we might actually be that fringe playoff team that we we pretend we are, Um, you know. So, uh, you know, I don't know that I mind the idea necessarily of letting him have 35 games of just crap to just see what he can do.
1: All right. Well, you guys kind of convinced me a little bit on this one, because uh, <laughs> not only that, and then I was thinking about it to factor in who, who he is as a, a person or a player and just he, he seems to, you know, a exude confidence and, and nothing seems to kind of to rattle him. And he's he's kind of got it down. And so maybe on somebody who's who's not necessarily that full of confidence in their ability Maybe there's you know, there's a falter here or there, but um, I feel like not only could he, he, he should produce at the NHL level that he's got the wherewithal that even if it doesn't quite work out, it's not going to send him into a, a spiral of which he'll never come back from. I think he's too talented <laughs> and, too, and too smart um, hockey IQ wise to, to be able to, not come out of maybe, you know, not a great showing or anything like that. So, you know, I just, I want to Trevor hold on to that one, one, one more year.
2: <laughs> just feel like the
1: Samuelis right now. I just money. We still have to pay Perry, don't we? Oh, I don't want to spend money.
2: <laughs> I think we're edging closer to a debut for, for Trevor Zegers here at yeah. some point. Um I, I can't see the ducks pushing it off that much longer. I mean, they could, <laughs> I don't want to say surprise everybody, but they could just basically tell everybody to fuck off and leave him in the yeah. AHL for the entire
1: year. Don't and, and put it and past
0: and Bob Murray, man. Yeah, no, he's, yeah. He'll do it out of spite. He'll do it to yeah, of a point. It's a, it's a, what, so, what
1: does social media say? F him.
0: So let me <laughs> ask you guys this. It's it's the 2nd of February. Do we think we see Trevor Zegers before March?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I say, I say yeah, because if it's not this weekend, the AHL season starts in two days on February 5th. So he's going to be playing on a regular basis down there. And based off what we've seen so far uh, in the limited preseason action he's had, and I think in two of those games you could argue he was the Ducks' best player or the Goals' best player on the ice.
0: Uh, and it's probably it, still the Ducks too.
1: Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs>
0: um,
2: Since they're an
1: AHL team, yeah.
2: You look at the chances he created. He you know, had a few chances he probably could have scored himself too. And, you know he walks out of it with six points in in four games and and you look at that and say who oh, he probably could have had a lot more he could have i don't want to say doubled that, but he walked out with a couple goals and a few more assists if if he could have finished off a couple of those plays or the lineman he was passing it to could could end up cashing it in so you know if he continues that play over the first five six seven games in the goal season. He'll force their hand at some point, point. and you know that's what I think it comes down to here. Is you know if it's not this weekend, and if if the Ducks don't feel like they have to do it now, and they want to give him a little bit to start the year, I think he's just going to be that good, just based off how how much we've seen of him so far, that they're going to have no choice. They're going to have to at least hand him a debut.
1: Yeah, there's there's four scenarios that I see, and only one of them would have Zegers not playing up. And that is if the coach of the Gulls literally says, hey, listen, he's got a good offensive upside, but he's got to work on a lot of things defensively. And that's a long shot, in my opinion. The other three are how are the Ducks playing if they're doing uh, well? Uh, I still think he gets a shot in there because even them doing well, I, a I don't really see that happening anyways. But if they do, they probably want to add him into that. Just see how he can fit into a team that's really kind of kicking, uh, you know, or you know, doing well. The Ducks just are doing average is another scenario. And if they're doing average and they expect to win now, then pump in the kid. What 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 difference does it make? And if they're doing horrible, then once again put somebody else in and see what happens, especially if you're quote unquote playing, playing for now. So the only scenario I see is that where, you know, the, the people who are watching to play game in game out just so, well, he's really good on offense. He's creative, but you know, there's some other things he needs to work on before he's NHL ready. And that's the longest shot. So I'd say he's far more likely to probably get in the NHL
2: at this point. I want to get back to what kind of started this off with the TAMO the stuff and uh, his godfather. Yeah, the the tweets that he liked on on Twitter were, were kind of telling it a bit funny about how TAMO Solani feels about the Ducks organization right now. The first one was fairly harmless. It was somebody just tweeting out a hashtag, TmufuGM. And that was the first <laughs> one he liked. Um, We're coming we, back to
0: that. We are coming yeah, back to that, you, you by the maybe way. Maybe
2: you could get some hints there about you know, how he could feel about Bob Murray and him liking that tweet and whatever he then he then proceeded to like a tweet that says, "Dallas wants you to chop wood and carry water in the A for a few years." <laughs> so <laughs> he went out like that one and then the the most telling one here was a tweet from Spencer Woods that said, "Incompetent front office slash coach more worried about what's happened in the past than this new rare circumstance and he slapped a big old like on that one too, so <laughs> clearly. Uh, team who is, is not happy with the way the Ducks run right now I mean I, I'm not surprised I mean the guy is a competitor and he wants the win and you know he's a lifelong Ducks fan and he's wants them to be good again and wants them to win too and, and from you can look at his, his Instagram post he does understand like many of us do why Trevor Zegers hasn't been given a shot yet but I'm surprised he went and, and actually took the time to like these tweets and, and the ones he actually liked were a bit telling about uh, how he feels
0: yeah, I, uh... <sighs> um,
1: Too many words.
0: I, I'm just not... <laughs> I don't know that I want to read into those likes as inherently, you know, uh, damning the front office or the organization. Like, I think... Uh, I think, you know, Timu has an ego, you know? And I think what he sees is a bunch of uh, people that agree with him about a young, exciting player. And so I think he's, you know, slamming the likes because he's getting that positive feedback. I'm not a hundred percent convinced, you know, that those things should be taken as him saying that the team is doing a bad job. I definitely understand, you know, watching the product on the ice right now and having the conversation we're having about like, dude, he's ready. Like, why isn't he up here? You know, I'm not going to tell T movies wrong about offensive talent and how it translates, but You know, I don't think that that is an inherent indictment of Bob Murray, you know, and I did want to get to something you said about Timu for GM. When Jarmo Kekalainen got his job in Columbus, there was a conversation with Timu where somebody told Timu, wow, I really thought you would be the first finished GM and Timu said me too. And that just kind of always sits in the back of my head for no reason and then today was the first time I actually thought about the idea of us going just full Edmonton Oilers and making Timu the GM, and I am terrified. I am so scared of that.
1: I, what, I, if, what if Paul Correa is the uh, assistant?
0: I, oh, yeah, it scares the crap out of me. Like, got Luke, you got Luke I Robitaille, see? Rob Blake over Oh, wait, the Kings aren't good. Like, no, but here's the thing, right? That's exactly right. Rob Blake done a great job. Uh, Luke Robotype, he runs the money, so I'm. I don't think that's relevant. Yeah. Sackic has done a great job. Eiserman has done a great job, but we've seen, you know, Wayne Gretzky do a terrible job. <laughs> like yeah. there's, there's for as there's many good as ones, there's like three yeah. times
2: uh, you know, the amount of bad ones.
0: And so I, I would just be a little anxious. You know, I think at one point Timu was the GM for the Finnish national team, and they were pretty competitive under him. So you know, maybe that's a positive. He's got a drive for it, at least. Yeah, you know, and again, like I said, I don't want to tell Timu that he can't recognize talent. Oh, well, he was
1: uh, going to listen to you and then quit.
0: Right, exactly,
1: yeah. <laughs> he was
2: uh, really upset with... D- D.B. Lowry kind of went where I was going with this. This is... Uh... That uh, Tatum would be the GM. Korea comes in as the assistant. Prager comes in because he had a front office role with the the Florida Panthers. He comes in and does like head of scouting or or does what uh, Luke Robitaille does for the Kings. And then Scotty comes in as the head coach to replace <laughs> to replace Dallas Aikens. and yeah. you just do a a, a full and full. Then, uh...
1: <laughs> Sorry, and then just to add on to that, and then we we add a uh, uh, a substantial uh, financial donation to uh, the charity of George
0: Paris's choice. Choosing, yeah, <laughs> but it's just you know, I mean, Pronger had so much fun in Florida that he left to start a talent, uh, a vacation agency. So I'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> that he's really excited to run back into the arms of a terrible franchise, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I don't know you know what's crazy like i saw we were i was watching the game and they're like oh lias anderson and i was like oh my god like they have like i have said this a hundred times and i always feel stupid but like i genuinely hate how much i think they have done a great job over in la you know they've really done a good job of walking their way through this rebuild and you know, taking a chance on it. Uh, and if you, you know, you can say that the Gabrick thing exploded in their face and that's, that's fine. Uh, who's the, uh, Kovalchuk, that one exploded in their face and that's fine. You know what I mean? You got to give those things a little bit of shot. If you think, you know, maybe Brown, Carter, Kopi have a couple of years or have like another year or two in them. Like maybe you take that chance, but like, they have very quickly pivoted away from that. You know, they moved on from Muzzin, they moved on from Toffoli. They moved on from To yeah. yeah, Toffoli sucks. Unless hey. he
1: lead the league in the NHL
0: in goals. Yeah. There? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to he's going to be in the Hall of Fame tomorrow. Yeah, right. well, time. To Montreal Hall.
1: Hall of Fame. He just needs one good season and uh, they'll <laughs> talk about how great he is. They're going to retire his jersey.
0: Yeah. If, if he was fit, he'd
2: it. already he'd already have his jersey retired by But now. they
1: do have a guy on their team named Mikey. And that really annoyed me the whole game. Like, Ed, I calling him, Mikey, no, him. <laughs> Mikey Mikey, Mikey. like, dude, hey, just call him Mike or Michael. Oh. Just some respect.
2: It's the same if um,
1: <laughs> he's not a prospect six.
2: For the upcoming draft, his name's Matt Beniers, but he goes by Matty Beniers.
0: Matty. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs>
1: oh, jeez. Well, like like, Mikey uh, just kept throwing me off every time I heard it.
0: My favorite Finnish player. What it, uh, that Lambert kid? Chris Lambert or Ed Lambert? Oh, Brad
1: Lambert, yeah. Brad
0: Lambert. I, He's a Finnish kid named Brad Lambert. I'm just like, no, Brad. he's not Brad. I Brad Lambert is an accountant. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I just legal where. About
2: yeah, I think his his family was born in Saskatchewan, but he his dad played hockey and grew up in yeah. Finland. And then he was born in Finland, so then he just <laughs> just kept it. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird ones. It's like Arthur Kalia for the Kings. You look at him, you look at his name, 100% Russian, but he's American. And if you listen to him, he doesn't sound Russian. Like, he grew up, I think, in uh, in Michigan. Like, he's right. Well, is it,
0: on. Isn't Gostaspare from, like, Florida?
1: Yeah. Despair.
0: Yeah. Ridiculous.
1: <laughs> it's just, always just... the weird one. Hey, hey, Yusi, who's your friend?
0: Brad? <laughs> This is Miro. This is Saku. This is Timu. This is UC, and this is Brad. That's Brad. I can't I wait to Classic finish national ever. team. Classic Brad.
2: The Finnish national team with Toivu Teravine and Sebastian Aho, Alexander Barkov, and Brad Lambert.
0: <laughs> Brad Lambert.
1: <laughs> One of
2: these things is not like
0: the other. <laughs> he's
2: going to end up on the Ducks in 2022. All right, all
0: right. Now he'll score his first goal against the Ducks. Dude, Brad Lambert is a donkey that they painted with white and black, and he's just standing in the middle of the zoo. <laughs> oh, my God. I know it's a zebra, I swear. Eh, it's Brad.
2: <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get into the fan questions here because we're running near the end of the show. Uh, we had a few of them. We covered a, a bit of these, uh, and two of them are kind of the same, referring to Trevor Zegers. But we'll we'll kind of give our quick predictions here. So, Duck enthusiast on Twitter said, "When do you think Trevor Zegers will be ready?" So let's. I think he's ready now, and I think most of us do. So let's oh, yeah. switch that question to when. When do you think he makes his debut this year?
0: Sometime this month. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, have a yeah, hard yeah. time thinking we get to March, and he hasn't. I wanted to take March just to disagree with you two. <laughs> so that way, when I'm right, I get to feel yeah. good about it. But I, I'm with you guys. I think you know I think we see him by month end.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think it has to be Feb, by the end of February. If you don't see him by the end of February, I don't see how, uh, how he gets in this lineup at all this year, unless it's near the end of the season, which the Ducks have done at times, Ooh. where you get to the final four or five games of the year and they just start throwing guys in, giving them their debuts and, and letting them run out for a couple of games. So if it's not February, I think that's when we could see it, like the final few games of the season, if the Ducks are out of it by that point or in a playoff spot, who knows why. I think it's probably likely the former rather than the latter. So when they're out of it completely and a few games left in the season that don't really mean anything, that could be when they throw in. The other scenario, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I, w- I would say, yeah, I think, I think all of us agree here. Hopefully, and 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 likely, uh, by the end of February, um, Gordon Bombay said, "Do you think Getzlaf gets a thousand points this season?" Uh,
1: just Ooh, under that, what F- I said 9, sixty five? Is that what he's at nine sixty five right now? Oh, sorry. I thought he meant to get 1,000 in this season. (laughs) I thought it was a ridiculous question. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought first, but I think then I remembered
2: he's fairly fairly close, isn't he? He's at 970 points. 1,000 points this season. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, where is he at? I'll give more context. He's at 970 points, uh, and the Ducks have 45 more games to play this year. So you'd have to get 30 points in 45 games. It's not It's not impossible for him to do that.
0: (laughs) He gets 30 points in 100 games, man. Like, I just...
2: He's got 5-11 right now. So, he is, like, kind of on base.
1: I would say No. I would yeah. say he gets close, but I, I don't think he quite
0: hits I, thirty points. Yeah, I think he That's cracks bad. ninety. I think he's got a chance to put up twenty points, but I I, I got a hard time thinking he hits thirty this year. Yeah, it'll and be
2: next. He, he pulls within like six or seven, like he finishes around like nine ninety three, nine ninety four, and uh, just comes up short. And then he'll get it next year. So I think it'd be better if he got it next year too. Wouldn't Wouldn't we all rather be there or have fans in the building when he hits a thousand points rather than it be this year where? You know we're all celebrating it at home instead. Like I think Getzlaf deserves to have the fans there for when he hits a thousand points. I mean, if we can have fans next year, we don't know. But uh, I would rather see him hit it with fans in the in the building. I think that would be that'd be better. That'd be a better atmosphere for that.
1: Yeah, we we keep losing Steven. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I something I is flying car, it's a flying car just starting and taking off? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: All right, we got a couple more here. Um, Dave said, "With or who is the odd man out of the lineup? When slash if Manson returns?"
0: <gasps> I had a thought about this. Are we a hundred percent sure it's not Shattenkirk?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean on a long 100%. on a long term <laughs> basis, yeah, hundred percent. They just spent like, a lot of money to bring him in. There's no way I, they're gonna bench
0: him. I understand that, but I have a very hard time thinking that he should be a lock for that top pair, given how he's played. Yeah, that's
1: fine. But once again, I don't think Manson and Lindholm have been good for a while. And I don't think that they'd insert him for that. And I don't think they'd put Shattenkirk on a third line. <laughs> he's not a third line guy. I think it's far more likely he comes in, Hacapa stays and you get rid of either the, your, whoever the right-handed guy is for Larson and uh, Hutton. Cause I would argue that Hutton has not been impressive, and Larson's been kind of there, I guess, a little bit. So, I mean, it's far more likely you, you take one of them out and put Manson in, and that's an upgrade. If you sit Shattenkirk and you put in Manson, I
0: don't think it's much of an upgrade, if any. Well, they both seem to have about the same amount of offensive talent, and I think one of them knows how to play defense. Yeah. I, it's funny
2: because the first
0: two games, Shattenkirk <laughs> looked pretty good after the first two games.
2: And we're like, oh, okay, you know what? Yeah. Shattenkirk, Lindholm is a thing. And then, man, like this last oh, stretch has been bad for, for everybody. It's wow. been
1: bad for everybody, but I didn't think he was all that bad this game. He had a couple of times where I saw a play where he was holding it in. He was, you know, he's not leading necessarily the play, but, uh, you know, it, he was brought in not only to kind of be – that veteran presence, and I hate that cliche too, but also that he's supposed to quarterback a power play, and I, I'm not even sure he's been playing on the power play the last couple of games. And so, I mean, there's that, but what are you going to do? You can put Manson in and make him <laughs> power play that quarter, or, uh, hey, quarterback? Hey, you
2: know who scored a power play? play goal for the goals the other day?
0: Jamie Drysdale.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we should start him too. Uh, where's my boy? Where's my boy Hunter Drew, the uh, the offensive juggernaut from the back end? Yeah, he's an offensive juggernaut in Farmers
2: League in Slovakia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they have a Farmers League. Hunter Drew is a Farmers Only legend. <laughs>
2: uh, all right, last question here from Sam Bennett on Twitter. He said, "Last show you is talking
0: about? Uh, you know he what? He
2: follows
1: us?
0: I would say no." <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sam, if you're listening, I'm sorry that I made fun of you for being 23 for 10 years in a row now. Yeah. Uh, and I love your mustache. Uh, damn
1: it. That was what I was going to say. I love his mustache. You're supposed
0: to make fun of him for not doing a pull-up at the combine.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. That yeah. It? <laughs> That's
2: a long time ago. All uh, right. So what
1: is, what is Sam Bennett from the Calgary Flames want for with us? All right.
2: He said last show we talked about the Ducks probably not getting rid of Bob Murray before <laughs> the expansion draft. Uh, I understand that you normally don't want a new GM going into an expansion draft, but do we really trust Bob Murray after he botched the last one? So would you rather, would you be comfortable moving Bob Murray out before the expansion draft and bringing in a new GM to cover that, or do you want to stick with the same, at least just through the end of Bob Murray's contract here?
1: I don't think Bob Murray's doing anything that's going to screw over the next GM. So at this point, it's not like he's doing anything that's you know, hey, listen, I'm taking on a whole bunch of bad contracts and I'm trying to save my my career. I think he sees the writing on the wall as well. Uh, bringing in a new GM um, outside of the organization is you're, you're bring uh, A, who's it gonna be and B, what are they going to do? What are they looking at and how are they going to do the expansion draft? Yeah. Bob Murray screwed up the last one. A lot of GMs kind of did. So I don't feel like he's going to make that same mistake. Uh, I think he's kind of in a better position this year anyways, uh, because a lot of those contracts that are pretty crappy come off the books. So he's not necessarily in that position where he's got to try and, you know, give away good talent if they take away a big contract. So I feel he's he's fine. He's going to run out his thing. But the only way I see him kind of losing it is if that team just does the St. Louis game like ten games in a row. If that happens, then uh, you, you you just got to go. Okay, listen, we, we got to do something. Intern assistant GM, you come in and let's let's make something else work because this is just too embarrassing to watch.
0: Yeah, I uh, so. Here's my thing about that. I think, you know, it, the trade deadline is April 12th this year. I think you've got until early March to make your decision. At that point, as a, as far as an ownership group, you have to know who's your GM for next season because it goes trade deadline, expansion draft, entry draft, free agency. If you're going to bring in a new person uh, to run, Uh, run hockey ops, then I think they deserve every chance to make this roster over in their image. Um, And I think having a trade deadline in a shortened season and an expansion draft are as good a chance as they're going to get to do that. If G if Bob Murray is the GM at the end of the season, then I don't think he's gone. But I I do think that if it's, if the ownership feels it's time to move on as many of us do, then you've got to get the new guy in as soon as possible. I think it's just – it's such a rare situation with the way everything is going to play out this year that I, I think it would be unfair to the next guy not to give him the the benefit to try to make it happen.
1: The only thing I could see is if, if the assistant general manager becomes the new one because then he could work hand-in-hand hand with Bob Murray and maybe kind of have some say or some sway in what's moving forward. But if you bring in just, you know, hey, we just – this dude needs to be GM and uh, we're just going to bring him in. Yeah. It it, kind of sucks at that point that now he's got no say. He's just literally got to work with the roster he's gotten and maybe something in free agency, but it's very rare that you would see a GM go through the draft process and then stick it out through free agency just to bring somebody else in later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I just think it's, it's just very poor management from that point. You know, I, I think as much as, we have a lot of questions about the roster. We have a lot of questions about management at a certain point. This all really starts to be about the ownership and how complacent they're going to be. And if they're going to pay attention, like I don't, I don't think it's to the point where, you know, you should just do whatever the fans say, but it feels like a pretty significant portion of this fan base is pretty upset with where this team is at. If for no other reason than it doesn't feel like they have a plan and it doesn't feel like the guy in charge is either honest or, He gets it. You know what I mean? That's a weird spot to be in where it's like he's either lying to us or he's an idiot. And I don't know which one it is. Could be both. Yeah, it it really (laughs) could be both. And that's, you know, I think at a certain point, ownership has to come in and be like, look, dude, this is our team and this is our money. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and like these are our fans and these are the people that we're asking to come in and spend money and, you know, give us their time. Like it's Southern California, we got plenty of things we can do. Uh, Watch the Angels lose. Yeah, no, absolutely not, never. (laughs) The Angels are awful. Um, But, you know, I just think, I think that this is a really big year for a lot of parts of this organization, not the least of which, for me, is definitely ownership. I'm really curious to see where their lines are as far as what they're willing to tolerate. Yeah, I I think, realistically, if Bob Murray is
2: fired middle of the season, there's only one option the Ducks go with, and that's at least even on an interim basis, promoting Martin Madden to general manager and then pushing that decision on, you know, pushing the interview process for anybody else. And, you know, you've started the Eric Tulski movement and there's, you know, a few other guys that that people right want there. as well, where you push that to the end of the season because nobody is taking the interview mid season if they have a job. Uh, and teams won't usually allow you to talk to their guys. Like Caroline is not going to allow the ducks to talk to Tulski in the middle of their season and prime away from, from their team where, you know, so it's the same with, with the coaching decision in the middle of the season. If a coach is fired, generally it's an interim coach who takes over to the end of the year when they can formally act, you know, have an interview process, reach out to the guys they want to reach out to, maybe more guys become available. So, you know, it, if Bob Murray gets fired, I think there is only one option for them, which makes it a bit more realistic at that point that, you know, if ownership did really get fed up and wanted to make a big change, I don't think they're in a position where they want to move on from Dallas Akins yet. Um, so it's really their only option then is to move on from Bob Murray. So that it's possible. I, I think it's very unlikely that Bob Murray gets moved out before the end of this year. Uh, but if they did want to go that route, then Martin Madam, as at least on an interim basis for the time being, is is the only option they have.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have GM. anything substantial to add. <laughs> it's got to be Tolsky, man. You just got to bring that guy. In. He's so smart. <laughs> I just GM, just can't.
2: GM. We just anybody. I mean, I don't want to say anybody because we obviously you know whoever we're, we're we bring in, we're stuck with for at least a couple of years, but. Like just a new direction is, is what I think this fan base is so desperate for or any direction and, or just like a, a new insight on, on building a roster and, and you know we're, we're so used to what Bob Murray hockey is like and what players he likes and what types of players he likes to bring in that we really haven't seen anything else. And when you went from Brian Burke to Bob Murray, there wasn't a huge difference in terms of the types of players they like and the type of team they want to put together It was fairly similar. In in that sense. And I mean yeah. that's what hockey was back then. And that's the you know, you needed to build those types of teams to be successful. But
1: I guess, but Brian, Brian Burke was also willing to spend money.
2: Yeah. 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 He had a, uh, uh, more th- I think to that.
1: that's also kind of chapping everyone's ass is there's just there's never an influx. It's always we gotta build from within, draft well, and then eventually we're still we're <laughs> we're at the end here we, we have almost nothing. kind of fill that in afterwards so it just yeah. yeah they
2: were similar but but brian burke was willing to make the big the big move to hopefully push them over the top, yeah, he, yeah. he he did them, and there was a few that he tried and he missed out on. I mean, we talked a long time ago when yeah, the right. when he put the Keith Kachuk thing when he tried to bring Keith Kachuk oh. to, to Anaheim, right? Like, and, and there were He's big moves he pulled off. Heart. I mean, look at look at the moves he pulled off getting Chris Pronger and and getting you know, you know Scotty in free agency, and it, it, you know those are moves that you know, Bob Murray wouldn't pull off. And, you know, the Kessler move was a big move. And, and to be fair, there are big moves he's pulled off, but there's been so many that the Ducks have missed out on. Like, you think of when they were supremely competitive and the team that was really competing for the Stanley Cup, and we'd go into every trade deadline and there'd be big names available and the Ducks would be linked with it. You know, Evander <laughs> Kane was one for a while when he left <laughs> Winnipeg, and Max Pacioretty when he was leaving Montreal. And, you oh, know, every God. year there was a guy that the Ducks always felt like they went down to the wire with, and then Bob Murray just never pulled the trigger on it. And I think that's kind of the big difference between the two of them.
1: Yeah, for every Kessler he got, he got three Heatleys. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, you know, Rantz. I definitely think that there is a, there's a very nuanced conversation that needs to be had about Bob Murray's tenure as the general manager of the Ducks. I think that for a small market team, he has done a lot of thing well, a lot of things well. I think he has been an incredibly stable and consistent presence at the top of the organization. I think the problem is, is that the the candle just burned all the way to the bottom. I just don't think there's anything left for him to do, and I think a, a new change of direction is 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 really needed. Um, but but I do think we should be, uh, you know, and again, it's one of those things that'll get easier the farther away from it we get. But I, I do think. There is definitely a lot to be said for his tenure. And I do think Ducks fans will be grateful when they look back on the consistent run of high level, regular season play that Anaheim achieved under Bob Murray. You know, I, but I do think, you know, obviously the trade thing is a, a huge thing. I mean, you don't even have to look at his time in Anaheim to see Brian Burke. He traded for Phil Kessel. He traded for the Sedins, you know, he traded for uh, Dougie Hamilton. Like, you know he's in these kinds of conversations all the time, and that's the thing that maybe Bob Murray is, and he just doesn't want to pay up. But that's just as useful as not being in the conversation. So,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, we we, we see it all too often, um, where where the Ducks just get far in these discussions, and obviously the Pierre Luke Dubois stuff was the new one. And and you know what? Like we sit here and say Brian Burke was willing to pull off the big moves. Obviously, not everyone worked out. And there's plenty of evidence to show that there were a lot of big moves that Brian Burke made that didn't pan out. But you got to make some to, to win on some. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't make them, you're losing on them. So all the ones that Bob Murray went down to the wire and it didn't make happen, that's a loss. And, you know, Brian Burke made some happen. Some of them really panned out and ends up winning a Stanley Cup. And obviously, there's always going to be a few that don't work out for you. But that's the risky run, and, and that's how you try and build a championship team or or push a you know a team that's competing for a Stanley Cup over the edge to being a true Stanley Cup contender is going out and and making those deals and and, you know hoping that they pay off.
0: And it's sorry, Jay, let me go I just I I think it's also important to note though that every trade you don't make is a decision. And you are still running the risk of that going just as bad as a trade. What you're choosing is you're saying that the guys I have right now are better than the guys I'm going to get, or it's not worth the cost. And so that's still a choice that you're making, and that's still a cost that you are paying and that opportunity cost. And so um, as much as you know, a trade can blow up in your face, not making a trade can be just as devastating. So, or,
1: yeah, or having that reputation of bargain Bob is uh, well. Let's see who's worth one million dollars. Who needs to re you know resurrect their career? Or mm-hmm. we get uh, we don't need to make a trade at the deadline because we're going to get an injured player back, and that's like we pick somebody up. It's like <laughs> t- tw- twist it around all you want, that's, that's but the the end, at the end of the <laughs> that's at the end, that end of the time, eventually the fans are going to just remember that we just went for, you know, the bottom of the barrel and hopefully we find a diamond in the rough. And we did that for so long. We maybe missed out on a lot of opportunities to make this team better in a significant way. Uh, and especially if all those little ones just don't keep panning out, you know, well, it didn't cost us much. You say Well, it cost us the season when, you know, yeah, we didn't, we didn't spend a lot of money, but we, we could have spent a little bit more and actually had a better opportunity to make the season worthwhile. So I, I'm not as optimistic as you are, Stephen, as far as uh, Ducks fans being able to just forget and look back and go, like, you know what? He was really stable. I think they're going to look back and go, like, wow, we could have yeah. just had better chances. And it was just uh, inability or un-
0: unwillingness to to take that, that dive in. <laughs> you, you sure. I, I just think I just think the totality of his tenure is something that should be looked at with a level of positivity you know what I mean he didn't take a Stanley Cup team and run it into the ground so
1: no, no. And, I, and I'm with you and I think we're kind of all on the same page we you know a little bit spoiled in how successful we got to be season in season out and um, I would say just maybe not not to Talked down, but just maybe the casual fan doesn't see those intricacies and just sees, well, why are we getting this guy? Why are we getting that guy? This guy is a horrible GM, that sort of deal. So,
0: no, yeah. for sure.
1: I mean, yeah, you look
2: at it objectively. The Ducks were an extremely successful team over a long period of time, and and were constantly and consistently making the playoffs. But when you kind of dig into a bit deeper and you look at, you know, the fact they had the, the opportunity. Almost every year that they had made it, you know, that they made it far to the Western Conference finals or, or to the second round, that maybe that extra piece is what pushes you over the edge. And, and it becomes, goes from looking at it as, you know, oh yeah, we were so successful to what could have been. And what did we miss out on because we didn't make those moves to push us over the end? We got to wrap this up because we're over, yeah, an, we're <laughs> we're over an hour and a half here. But, it's almost uh, we,
1: tomorrow. <laughs> we will be <laughs> it's back. Ready. <laughs> on
2: yeah yeah it already is for me we'll be back on saturday uh, obviously the ducks have a back-to-back against the sharks on friday and saturday this week hopefully come saturday night we're talking about Trevor Zegers having an excellent debut for the ducks
1: uh, did they get um i thought they uh, rescheduled one am i thinking of a different one i so think it's
2: the different
0: 13th game That's the 13th. February 13th. Oh, okay. oh, yeah.
2: yeah so they're they're all good for this uh for this, this weekend, weekend. Okay. so it's Friday, Saturday against the Sharks—the first, first meeting, first two meetings against the Sharks this year. I think that completes the set. I think after the Sharks, we've played everybody in the division this year, so mm-hmm. we'll start playing people for the second time. Moving on after that game, but it'll be a good series. The Sharks we will really series. get it on
0: the second time around. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it's the we second gotta,
0: time through the light, of, Jay. You know how yeah, that yeah. is. Yeah. We're <laughs> gonna
2: complete our uh, twenty-game predictions too. We'll we'll go back to those, um, Stephen, where you had said they would four games in twenty. I think right. So they're at uh, they're at oh, they're four now. It. So they have to lose every single <laughs> other one to hit it. I think might yeah, uh, have five.
1: Other end of the spectrum.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I had eight, and Pat had 11, which is a a long long way to go for the Ducks to yeah. hit 11 wins right now. They'd have to pretty much win out. Let's
1: say it. seven in a row. I'll be eight. <laughs> yeah. <this> one. <laughs> yeah, it'll be tough. Exactly. But anyway
2: we will be live after that game same place same time i think it's a 10 p.m start so we'll be live about 15 to 20 minutes after the game 7 p.m yeah <laughs> yeah yeah 7 p.m west coast I always forget. so 7 p.m start on uh saturday i think i think it might be the same friday but who cares we're not doing a post game show on friday we're all enjoying the game on friday so anyway yes, thanks saturday. for coming out guys i need to go to bed we uh we'll be back we'll be back <laughs> Saturday night. Thanks for coming out, guys. You guys take care. Thank hey,
1: everybody.